So I'm super excited to let all of our listeners know that we have our first sponsor. And this is a big deal for me. It's a big deal in many ways. But the most important thing is that I wouldn't choose a sponsor that I didn't believe in. And our sponsor is Denny Tato. She is the president of Corporate Consciousness, and she uses a tool called the Enneagram. And if you don't know what the Enneagram is, it's an amazing assessment, and it really helps in building emotional intelligence. I've used it. My husband has used it. I've recommended it to teams and to clients. But it's not just the tool. It's really more than that. It's Denny. Denny has this innate ability to coach teams and individuals. I know this because I coach others too. So take it from me. She's pretty amazing. So if you want to develop your greatest asset, your employees, you're ready to take it to the next level, check out corpconsciousness.com. We are, as each of us are, deeply capable of um, not just surviving difficulty, but thriving. Clearly, if you look across the long lens of time, we wouldn't exist as a species. Were that not true? Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life, achieve your dream, and then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Well, welcome everybody. I have Stacy Sims. She is the founder of the Well.World. Did I get that right? You did. Awesome. And for those that don't know her, she is a mind body educator. She's an author and a wellness activist. I love the wellness activist piece of that. Thank you. So welcome. Yeah. Thank you. So I was telling Stacy that. Meditation has been coming up for me so much recently. It's like popping up. It's like I feel like the universe or God is saying, listen. <laughs> so um, let's hear a little bit of part of your story on how you got to this place because I'm sure um, you didn't know it when you were a little child that you wanted to be a wellness activist. So maybe give us some background. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's the that's the biggest uh, possible question to ask. Um so all of the wellness programs that I am currently involved with under the Well.World, I, I feel as though they all come out of um, a pivotal moment in time for me, mm -hmm. which is 21 years ago now. Okay. I think that's right. Um, I came to understand that I had a... I was an alcoholic, and so I ended up going into recovery, and that same week I started Pilates at the same time, weirdly, or perfectly, and I had had reasonably successful careers, and beautiful things happened prior to that. Yes. But the, but the lead-up to that moment in time in my late 30s, I really came to understand what the terrible, frustrating feeling of every day wanting to be different and feel different and every day repeating the same behavior that was uh, getting me more and more and more stuck and soul sick. Okay, can I just stop and say, yeah. I totally can relate to the every day wanting to be or feel different. 
I can so relate to that. And I'm sober too. And so I that is something that I'm early discovery working on. Um, but I don't think you have to be in recovery to relate to that. I think a lot of people feel that way. No, no. And that, uh, you know, kind of careening back up to the present moment, 20 years, I feel like what I bring to the work I do, whether it's meditation or movement or the other kinds of programs I run, that I have a, such deep empathy for those of us who get in a state of heightened stress, mm-hmm. whether it's from the external external world or our internal uh, machinations or some combination of both of them. And yes. almost everybody I meet in today's world, I, f- I feel like, f- feels as though that just the, the stress of living in the contemporary world, in addition with our digital diets, yes, it's it just seems like it's for most people just too much. Yep. And the feeling state is somewhere between pure despair or just the sense of this isn't tenable or sustainable. Like I'm pretty sure that most of us as adults don't feel as though we should be joyful every second. But we also don't want to feel as though that things are so heavy all right. the time. So Going back 20 years to when I got sober and became unfrozen, both through 12-step work, as well as a movement practice that was very particular in terms of mm, realigning, re-celebrating practical movements of breath and body. Those two things really went hand in hand. What was that movement practice? Pilates. It was Pilates. Pilates. Okay. Okay. Um, So that the 12-step work was sort of a behavioral model of mm-hmm. change, but the movement work was really important to realign literally my ability to move out of a what would be a hypoarousal state, which is constant thoughts, but dead action. So those things really were quite um, fundamental in my reawakening and understanding of some of the core pieces that uh, are super helpful for anyone who's trying to move out of that feeling of a little stuck or a whole lot of stuck. Mm -hmm. And my work over the years has deepened to uh, really have deep empathy and strategies around helping people who've had pretty profound trauma. Yes, uh, all the way up to stressed out preschoolers and who are literally stressed out. Yeah. I, I'm not even joking. Right. I know. So um, there's so many things that I want to say. The, the first one is I think I've been reading and listening to podcasts around this trauma piece that um, it doesn't even have to be a profound trauma. It could be any sort of trauma that the mind has what locked onto or remembered or whatever it might be and then does the meditation help you what does a meditation or mindfulness help with that yeah back to that i'm going to speak first about trauma because okay. i think it's important yeah each of us have a different i would say resilience blueprint 
And oftentimes it has to do with our family of origin, zero to five years, as well as the cultural imprint. So if we, in our earliest years, uh, weren't able to feel particularly safe or nourished because of uh, a parent who's working three jobs or some sort of violence or addiction in the family, those kinds of things really create this sense of slight unease deep in the physiology of our core being. Okay. So that if if and when we have future stresses, then we're more likely to not be resilient around that difficulty. Okay. So what's imp- I think important to remember is that if you and I walked out and were hit by a car, we might have completely different reactions to that okay. event based on the rest of our life leading up to it. Okay. Based what, on what you talked about, that blueprint. The blueprint and all the things that followed and how well we were able to manage our emotions and our responses. We are, as each of us are, deeply capable of um, not just surviving difficulty, but thriving. Clearly, if you look across the long lens of time, we wouldn't exist as a species right. were that not true. But so, I think something has shifted profoundly in the last 10 years, and, and I, th- I think a lot of it has to do with the digital diet yeah. for two reasons. And I'm going to get to the meditation piece, but this is an important part of it. Okay. So first of all, if you think about the importance of the early attachment period between mom and baby. Yes. So in today's world, and this would have been me if my son weren't 33, you have baby on mom's chest, and I say mom just because mom is generally the primary caregiver, but let's say parent's chest, and parent looking off to the side at Facebook or the phone. So what's, and also my, if I'm mom with baby on my chest and I'm looking at my phone, my breath is short, my chest is tight. So we're we're not getting the attunement, the play, the facial changes, and we're... um, sharing front heart to heart a bit of a stressed out body stressed out physiology plus then so our kids are sort of jacked up already yes and then what also happens is that if you and i got out our phones and we started to go through them likely we're not getting the Pulitzer Prize notice on our phone. We're going <laughs> right. through all of our dumb stuff on there. Right. But our bodies, if we tune in, our breath is short, our chest is tight, the, the feeling of anticipation, the physiology of it really is not much different from fear. So what's happening is our physiology is on high sympathetic nervous system alert all the time and be. If we don't have a body-sensing, noticing practice, also known as meditation, yes. then we, what happens is, is that we don't feel well. We feel slightly agitated. But since we're not tracking what's happening in our body, we just go for the lowest hanging fruit of meaning, which means that I want my mental landscape to match my physiology. So there's two ways it goes, usually. One yeah. is there's something wrong with me. So uh, depression, anxiety, anxiety self-esteem, yeah. or my personal favorite, there's something wrong with you. 
which is when you look out at our political world, you can see why we're so polarized. I mean, even the last few days, it's not that there aren't serious things to think about and talk about, but we're often talking about the lowest hanging fruit of things that really can't possibly be the issue. So back to meditation. So meditation and mindfulness, I feel as though do they do a couple of things. One is that they're baking back into our daily landscape that which has gone missing, which is ritual, nature, boredom, imagination, wonder, play. Um, most of us can spend... Uh, me included, can spend a gazillion hours on the dumb phone or watching Netflix. Um, So there's, so we have the missing uh, rest, digest, and integrate time. Rest, Rest, digest, digest, and and integrate. integrate So the parasympathetic nervous system is the, basically the exhale, the rest, digest, and integrate. And that's what's missing for most of us. So meditation does that piece. Okay. What it also does, uh, especially if you're doing, well, there's so many different forms, but mindfulness meditation really helps you understand and begin to notice, oh, there's my breath. Oh, wow, there's a bit of tension. Oh, wow, I'm having this thought related to that tension. It allows you to have a practice of noticing not just what's happening on the outside, yes. but how your interior world is contextual. Your physiology and your thoughts and emotions are contextualizing what stress, what stressors, external and internal. Okay. And so then a couple things happen when you start to practice. One is if you're in the middle of all of a sudden being frustrated with someone, you can think you you have enough practice to be able to go, oh, hmm, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have only had coffee and my blood sugar is dropping. Mm-hmm. That person may not be the a root challenge. issue of my it, yes, this could, frustration. This could be me. Shocking. Um, <laughs> and it, but then it also, by putting Isn't it 99% of the time me? Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, and the thing is, is that. Uh, yeah, uh, the, I think that was the thing that excited me too about meditation is that when you practice it, even five to ten minutes a day, yeah, the world simply does not feel as difficult. How how often do you practice a day? I try not to do any less than ten minutes a day. I'm at my very best uh, in the summer. One of the programs is City Silence, and yes. I hold space. Uh, Monday through Friday in Washington Park for about an hour of silence in a community space. I love that. And it's uh, and I and literally every year I'm like, oh my god, this is I'm always the best right now. Yeah. Uh, and then when I'm in the school year, I go to a school every morning to deliver their mindful music moments. So I get to practice, but it's a tiny little sliver. Um, one of the things that I've been reading about is that. This concept of fight or flight, right? And the saber-toothed tiger is no longer going to come get us. But that 
there are other social threats or whatever that come up through the day, right? At work or at home or whatever it might be. And that 10 minutes a day of meditation helps us become more high, and and this is going to be for work people here, business people, but become high performers at work because you're able to de-stress and get present. Thoughts on that or additions to that? No, that's totally right. And of all the research that I've done, which basically means looking at media and listening to podcasts <laughs> and asking a lot of questions. But I I find almost all top performers across most domains yes. have some sort of meditation practice now. It just seems like the equalizer for our contemporary society. If you're going to do well in what you want to do, and not just do well, but feel well doing yeah. well, uh, and want to have longevity. So and look better, frankly, right? Because I heard it not only will help because is is it cortisol that can age you? Because if you have constant cortisol boosts. Yeah, we just, frankly, we just won't live as long. It's yeah. exhausting. Stress is exhausting. It is. And it's, it's a true killer. Um, but yes, so 10 minutes a day can start to, when you were talking about that saber-toothed tiger, yeah. if that's really the sympathetic nervous system that's our um, alerting alarming system again that's the same thing that's going off when we're on our phone yes and so we're trying to activate and then rebalance those two the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system so that if our brains can actually long-term plan make accurate choices have compassion and empathy Mm. if we're in fight or flight the part of the brain that manages all of the higher level functions that we think of as being conscious civilized humans that's not available it's overtaken by okay yeah and then we're back in our our most primal prehistoric thinking and there's a great guy i don't know you've maybe read about him, but Tristan Harris, he is, I think it's TristanHarris.com, but he is a young guy who was a design ethicist at Google, and now he's the- Wait, I'm sorry. What does that even mean? A design what? Ethicist. So really trying to make sure that they're, um, you know, they have so much power. And so how do you ethically handle that you are holding- the cards for all information gathering in the world. So they're earnestly looking at that. And Tristan Harris decided that there's no way he could make the change within the system. So he left and he's the whistleblower of Silicon Valley. And what he talks about, he's super articulate, but that the way all of... The way the industry works and the way our phones work is that the longer we're online, yeah, the more we're basically lining the pocketbooks of a lot of folks. And so and the way they get us to stay online is what he calls the race to the brainstem. And the and the brainstem is all those primal functions. So it's it's not surprising if you just kind of can get a little meditated and, you know, about 10,000 feet up to start to understand why we're not 
doing very well. And also why our kids aren't doing very mm-hmm. well. I mean, it's really... Because you see that in the schools, all the anxiety, oh my the gosh. increase in anxiety. It's it's tremendous. The amount of anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, increasing in elementary school environments. So maybe share how you got started on that path with, the, with children. Mm, okay. So the first program I created uh, was called True Body Project, and that was a program that I first created for teen girls with the idea that it seemed to me that despite feminism and the marching on of time, it wasn't getting easier for girls to feel comfortable within themselves. Mm -hmm. So this program was a combination of movement, mindfulness, art, wellness, and we piloted it the first year with artworks, which we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Before we started recording. Yeah, and um, we... The, and that program still exists today. We I just came back from Cambodia doing a leadership training there for a few weeks. Wow. Um, but that work put me in a lot of schools. Okay. So a f- several years ago, I was at a school doing a 10-week in-school daily mindfulness pilot with 7th and 8th grade students who'd had their education interrupted due to refugee issues. And it was wonderful to be able to spend that much time with them. Yet I knew I could never get that much time in a school day. But I heard the morning announcements, yes. and it occurred to me that it could be a bandwidth for a mindfulness moment for everyone. So at that school in 2016, we piloted Mindful Music Moments. Today, that's in 160 schools nationally, wow. and it combines mindfulness techniques with classical music from partners like the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra and the opera. And it happens every day over the morning announcement. So the whole school takes a second to drop in, notice breath, etc. So I spend most of my time talking to administrators, teachers, parents. I mean, I love to see students, but I'm, yeah. I'm talking to a lot of adults on the front line of trying to keep themselves healthy enough to be able to raise and support a whole new generation of children who are uh, like the canaries in the coal mine. They're they're mm-hmm. the ones who are who are showing us yes. with their actions every day that it's it's not healthy for them. This world. So it made me think of like growing up, I went to parochial schools. It was the morning prayer. Did you, right? I mean, like, yeah, it makes me think of that. Now, it wasn't meditation, but it was that moment that you took to have some silence. You had the morning prayer, you know. Absolutely. We were doing some things right. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I think contemplative practices have been. Uh, important across time and across all religions. Yeah. Or even even families that didn't particularly have religion, you had family meals. You had I'm I'm sounding just old Sunday night TV. You had gathering <laughs> yes, times. Yes, you, you had did. Rituals. It takes you back to the ritual. That's what I was just thinking. Yeah. And then I was also thinking about the fact that um it it I like that meditation can kind of be universal. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to be one religion or whatever belief system. Anybody can do it, right? Absolutely. It is really, it's, yes, you can do it. You can, and 
now there are so many apps that you can use. And I think that whatever kind of meditation you want to do, it's it's really what is the thing that's going to keep you coming back? You can't. The, I honestly yeah. don't think that there is a meditation better than another. The the one that's best is the one that you will continue to do. The one that works for you. Okay, so I would say we do have a good amount of listeners who have kids. Can you give some recommendations for those listeners who have children and how they could incorporate meditation into their family or with their kids? Uh, well, slightly self-serving, but I think it still is for the greater good. Mindful music moments, if your child's school does mindful music, all of the parents get access to the password and can repeat the ritual at home oh, as a family experience. That was smart. And it's really lovely because it combines classical music, opera, and each day has a different prompt. So you might be, do the meditation together and then be able to talk about, like, say it's fanfare for the common man, what makes us a brave family, yeah. or what did you notice, or just something that That's creates a, a starting point for conversation and meditation. Why classical or opera music? Is there a science or a reason behind There's lots that? of powerful pow – uh, Renee Fleming, the opera singer, was just here. Um, she works for the with the NIH on the power of music and the mind. And there's scads of research about really music as medicine. Yes. So the research is there, but also I've – grown up in this city working collaboratively in the arts. So I loved being able, and I love to be able to work with arts organizations here and in other cities to connect their mission and their gorgeous assets yeah. to a whole new generation. So it just worked. So I didn't ask you, I mean, so you you said, you know, 20 some years ago, you got sober and you started doing Pilates. But how did that get you into meditation? Because Pilates isn't necessarily meditation. No, I. So my first part of my career was in communications. Um, that's kind of been the communications writing program making. That's been pretty consistent. Then when I moved back about 20 years ago from Cleveland, I had started to write a novel. I didn't want to get a quote-unquote real job <laughs> while I tried to finish my novel. I had learned to teach Pilates in Cleveland, so I opened Pendleton Pilates. And so I, I really did it to not have to get a real job oh while I gosh. tried to publish my novel. Yes. And I just got in it at the right time. So I created the four studio system. You were one of the first Pilates studios here. Yeah, there was another really great studio. But I think one of our advantages was we had the group reformer classes. So it, it tr I tried to make it affordable as possible yes. because it was a very expensive endeavor. Right. Still is expensive. Um but I sold the studios. That's why and, your posture is so good. 
It is. Like, when you sat down, I was like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) Her posture is so, it's like you're a ballerina. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Seriously. Seriously. Well, I do take a dance class now. You do? Yeah, dance fix. You do dance fix? Everybody does dance fix. I know, right. When are you coming? I need to get dance fix. No, can can I be honest about this? So I did do a dance fix, which was amazing. But I didn't know the dances, and I'm a recovering perfectionist, and I really hated that I wasn't as good as everybody else. Oh, I, it's <laughs> tough. Well, see, now they have a beginner class, so you can come and you can I get know, awesome. I know, my friend Maggie. Shout yeah, yeah, out yeah. to you, Maggie Brennan. Right. I know I need to get in there. Right. I know. So, I know. Yes, I know. We love okay. Dance Fix. Okay. Everybody loves Dance Fix. Yes. It's a promo for Dance Fix. It is. Um, okay. Keep going. What were we talking about? I interrupted you. Uh, Pilates. Posture. You, so, beautiful posture. You're a ballerina. Um, so, <laughs> As she smiles. I sold... Pendleton Pilates yes. in 2010. Okay. And, but I had, in 2005, I started the True Body Project. And so movement, mindfulness, yoga, trauma-informed care, eventually you get into meditation. Mm-hmm. So I had done a year of Reiki study and that the foundational practice of that is meditation. Okay. Then I was traveling in Asia, lots of meditation, lots of meditation, and um, then started this City Silence, which is inviting people to come together for meditation. Yes. We have a bunch of um, events coming up at public libraries this year, so you come for free and learn about meditation in a group space. So... I started a meditation practice, started to try to create programs to demystify, de-isolate yes. the, the practice of meditation. And then that's what led me into mindful music moments. So we kind of started out when I said at the beginning, what were there anything like growing up, were there any signs or did the path always lead you to this place? You know, 30 years ago, would you have... Would you have figured this is what you would be doing? Oh, no. Um, Some of the things, so I did publish a novel. I've done some plays, written a couple children's books. I would say I always wanted to be a writer, communicator, and have a voice. Yes. And that has definitely happened. I don't think I would have seen as my... Um, alcoholic or qualifying to be alcoholic self, I wouldn't have seen myself as someone doing as much service kind of work. Yeah. um, Greater good kind of work. Not that I didn't care about the greater good, but I was so... um, Wrapped up in self. Yeah. And I talk about getting sober as like somebody takes the hands that are covering my eyes away and I'm like... Oh my gosh, other people. Because you're when you're <laughs> know, alcoholic or depressed or anxious, yeah. it's such a narcissistic it's so experience. Narcissistic. And that's the beauty of 12-step work or fellowship work or really any kind of dance fix work or where you where you just get to celebrate being human with other people in in whatever kind of vulnerable beautiful way. Yeah. So is that the purpose of dance? Is that one of the reasons why people love dance fix? Yeah. Is the vulnerability piece? Well, maybe I wasn't ready when I went. 
right? Yeah. And it's the thing to remember is that everybody there started out not knowing what the heck they were doing. I know. I know. But I think you're the beginner class is what you should do. Okay. Okay. Because then you come in with, anyway. Yeah. Um. We we keep I, I you can have Heather Britt on next. Time. I know that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I don't know her, but you do, so maybe yeah, you do. can help me with yeah. that. Um, I love the concept of greater good, and I also love the fact that you've done so many different things. Wrote a book, started Pendleton. Now you've got the Well Dot World. I mean, you've done a lot of stuff. You, you're not really in a box. No, I'm and an I Enneagram 7. Dig that. Oh, my God, I'm a 7 too. Yeah, see. So I, it never, even at my worst of times, um, for those of you who don't know, Enneagram 7s are uh, almost delusionally optimistic, and we believe in um, that anything is possible. Yeah. Uh, until... And then, at least for me, when something doesn't work out, I've moved on to the next thing. I'm like, well, way past it. So right. I hardly even register failures as failures. Yeah. I, maybe that's why this name, Failing Forward, to me isn't a big deal. But for some people, it is. Like, yeah. And people I just, get caught up in the in the name. And I'm like, why? Yeah. I think ones in the Enneagram will get caught up in that. Yeah. I just – and also – I mean, I turned 60 next year, and I remember my mother telling me that there's just certain, you know, passages. They wrote a whole book about it. But there's certain things that you can just see when you have more time under your belt. And that Mm. with more time under – I just was looking at a Facebook post, memory, and a few years ago, I was doing my taxes, and I made that year – it was after Pendleton Pilates – I really ended up with – no net. No, I have a high risk talent tolerance. I don't have any net now, but that was a that year. I made about as much money as I did when my first job in my twenties. Yeah, and I had one of the best years of my life. And I also think, as a seven enneagram seven, is that um, what the meditation has really helped me with is understanding that. While I love the thing, the shiny thing in the distance, that it is really the these kind of programs that I'm working on require deep roots. And mm-hmm. I need to be able to be still enough, long enough every day to really nourish the root system. So who are my partners? What's my intention every day? And that has really helped ground me and, and probably ground grow the work. business yeah and it's just been it feels very um right scale right time it's just been a true joy and and yes to to your point i just don't while i have had i mean i'm in a recovering alcoholic I've had a bankruptcy. Um, I don't even know what to throw in this camp of things that wouldn't, you know, sound terrifying. Um, and perhaps they were at the time, but, well, I wouldn't trade any of it. 
Well, no, maybe a little bit of it. <laughs> maybe a little bit of it. But it's just so good right now. And I get to spend every single day essentially um, listening to other people. That's what my main job is, is to be a listener and to see to see the good or the possible inside someone when they're stuck. Yes. You know, that's the best part of my day, too. This right now, you're not stuck. But today I had two people call me, and I just listened. And that's, that's I think, how we both give back to the greater good. Yeah. And you just never know whose day, who just, who really needs it. Everybody needs it and yeah. everyone deserves it. And I also think that meditation creates this, um, it helps time feel less, it, it helps expand time so that I feel as though I have time to be present even if it's just for a little snippet yeah. so that I'm, I'm not only being um, mindful or kind when I'm in the quote-unquote yoga studio or whatever that would be. To, to, right. So it's, I just feel like it's super important to be present to every human you meet. And that requires some meditation. <laughs> Otherwise, wow. I get in my own head. Yeah. And it's dumb in there. <laughs> I mean, it can be dumb. You know. I know it's dumb in there. <laughs> it can be dumb in there. It's dumb in there a lot. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Some of those old thought habits are really, uh, you know, wily. Okay. Can I ask you? Yeah. What? How do you get rid of those old thought habits? Honestly, yeah. meditation will take out a big giant chunk. It's kind of like, I feel like when people, you know, like you being sober, a lot of people ask about sobriety. And so I had panic disorder, alcoholism, all kinds of stuff going on. And once I got sober, it sort of eradicated, I'm going to say 80% of it. Of the anxiety and yeah. the panic. I, that, I 100% agree. But the meditation starts giving you a leg up on Again, it like it knocks a whole bunch of stuff out. It really does. And or when it comes up, you're like, oh my gosh, this is a true thought habit. So, okay, it, so for me, I like give me some homework or give our listeners a homework. Ten minutes a day. Like, do you need to do it like to create a habit for you know thirty, sixty, ninety days? Like, what do you recommend to people? I would say. That if you can start with five minutes in the morning. Yes. And is it total silence or is it guided? You can do guided. You can do anything where you're, I mean, honestly, you could, uh, no, I think I'm going to make it just meditation. Okay. Because I'm good um, about journaling. Yeah. Oh, that's, what, I mean, and, the, and those practices are fantastic. Yeah. But to really encounter the nature of your own mind when you don't have the ability to kind of do anything else. So creating a ritual where you you don't have to sit on the floor. You can just sit in a chair, feet on the floor. Yes. Lengthen your spine. 
I'm uh, doing it set, right now. set your hands in a comfortable position. And then I would suggest you can listen to a guided app, but if you don't have one, if you create a ritual where you first notice everything around you, all the sounds you can hear, and you can label them. You could say, oh, I hear a truck going by. I hear my dog. Just noticing sounds. Then you're going to start to notice the perimeter of your body, sensations like um, skinscape. Okay. So, and listeners, you should do this right now while Stacy's giving us this. Yeah. So you just notice, what do you feel? Do you feel warm or cold? Do you feel where your clothing is against your skin? Can you feel your entire perimeter? Then you start moving more internally. And you start noticing your breath. You can notice where you feel the air coming in and out. It's best to do it through the nose unless you have a cold, then don't worry about it. And then you begin to notice where you can feel your breath moving in your body. So it might be chest, shoulders, belly. If you go to class and you learn how to do yogic or other breath, don't, don't do that right now. Just notice where your natural breath is moving in your body. If you notice you're thinking about the day or email or dinner, just notice your thoughts and come back to the breath. You can notice the tempo the quality, and the location. And if you go through that ritual, noticing what you hear, noticing what you feel, and then moving to your breath, you're going to get to five minutes really quickly. Mm. And and then you can repeat that sometime during your day. You can, you know, in a car before you're going to a meeting when yeah. you're usually looking at your dumb stuff on your phone. Just if you start to do that, then the minute, the, so then we have a new muscle memory. So the, the thought habits are basically hardwired. What fires together, wires together. Yes. So that thought is that muscle tension, is that blood sugar dropping, it all wires together. So with meditation, you're creating a new firing pattern so that the minute you put your feet on the floor and put your palms in your lap, you're going to drop in really quickly. Okay. And it's going to start pretty quickly. You'll realize that, oh, my God, I had a much better day just because of those five minutes. By the end of the week, you're going to feel like a savant. Then the next week, you're not going to do it because for some dumb reason, what we don't do the things that we know make us feel awesome. Yes. And then you're going to go back to it. Well, I want to give our listeners a challenge, and I'm going to give myself a challenge. Okay, great. Of the five minutes. And there's some also some assets on yeah. um, the well.world. There's right. audio files. There's some videos. Oh, good. Yeah. You can find some 
guided meditations to use and we'll, that I've created. We will have that link in the notes okay, great. for today, too. Okay, great. Well, first of all, thank you for giving me meditation at the end of the podcast. It was, <laughs> it was so nice, awesome, listeners. It? it was so nice. <laughs> like, recharged me. It really did. Um, I did do that uh, meditation, so I hope you you all do that, too. But I just want to say thank you for everything that you've done for the city, because you really have been the pioneer in this space, and for everything that you're doing for the little munchkins. Mm, they're the best. Right? They really are. We got to keep them healthy because we're going to need their future leadership, right? That's right. So thanks for being here. Thanks so much. In order to keep the show going and growing, we need the help of great advertisers. But we want to make sure these partners are people you actually want to hear from. So we need to learn a little bit more about you. Please go to failforwardpod.com backslash survey and take an anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. Again, that's failforwardpod.com backslash survey. I want to thank our sponsor, Corporate Consciousness, and everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at failforwardpod.com.